Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Christian Skeptic. I'm your host, Sean Kerwin, and as always, it's my mission to take an honest look at our questions about Christianity through the lens of logic and reason. I'm not here to preach at you, just to start a conversation with you. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, welcome to another exciting episode of The Christian Skeptic. I am joined today again by good friend, lead singer of the band Amberlin, and pastor Stephen Christian. Stephen, welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Am I the only repeat uh, customer that you've had? Am I, am I? Did I set records? You know, Has anybody else been on more than once? I think, yeah, I think you're the only repeat That's right. interview Makes I've sense. ever done. <laughs> You're also the only other pastor I've ever had on the show. So, fun fact. Ooh, fun <laughs> fact. That is a fun fact. I don't know if I can still call myself a pastor. Maybe once a pastor, always a pastor. Maybe not. I'm a heathen now. I don't know. Mm, I, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I really don't. I think that uh, once a pastor, all, you should always act like a pastor. But that does bring us to today's topic. Um, a topic that you uh, really, really pushed for and wanted to talk about. So I'm excited to get into it. Yeah. And that's how much should pastors be paid is the question that we will be answering together today. Yeah. So um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to give my answer right away and um, feel free to do the same. And then we can kind of explain those. So I think my answer to how much should a pastor be paid is that a church shouldn't want to make a pastor poor and shouldn't want to make a pastor rich. And so there isn't really an exact number in that, but I think that that should be the heart behind it. And then there's probably another aspect to it where there should be a pastor's heart behind it and that a pastor shouldn't necessarily um, want to keep all the money they make either, depending on their salary as well. Um that's not to say that pastors shouldn't want to make a lot of money. And, you know, I think that in the society in which we live in America, in the capitalist society, you can make money on multiple streams of income. And so I think we have to add that caveat in there as well, that if a pastor wants to make a lot of money, that's not necessarily a wrong thing. It's when a pastor wants to keep a lot of money that that becomes the wrong thing. So I think that's my answer kind of off the front of this question. And we can kind of go deeper into that. Uh, I'd like to divide this conversation into those two different categories, um, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it before we do, of churches shouldn't make a pastor poor, and so the vow of poverty mentality, and we can discuss that, and then churches shouldn't make a pastor rich, so you know, not paying your pastor enough to buy like three Lamborghinis, and we can probably talk about that, because there's, there's good examples of both in our culture, but I'm curious to hear your kind of first answer to the question. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's a little subjective um, as far as what is rich. You know, I, I my good friend, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name's Sean Kerwin, he had this podcast, <laughs> and in it he said something to the effect of, life is about perspective. If you're making over $30,000, you are a part of the 99%, I mean, you are ahead of 99%. You remember saying that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was, yeah, so... It's 35,000, so, you know, yes. <laughs> 35,000, yes, I'll take it. So 35,000, I mean, so so... Is rich thirty five thousand? Well, yes. Compared to the rest of the world, thirty five thousand is a lot of money. To America, no, that's not. You know, that's that's you know almost. Well, I mean, poverty is right around twenty one thousand, under twenty one thousand a year, and so it's not teetering on, but it's it's above. You know, not a lot. 
um, probably 30, roughly 30% above poverty rate. So, I mean, it's subjective as far as how much a pastor is, you know, should be making. In my opinion, uh, I feel like a pastor should make a lot of money. Now, not all pastors should make a lot of money. I think it's very subjective as far as how big is your congregation. And the reason that I say like it's almost a numbers to numbers game is because, you know, you are overseeing a lot more people. For instance, Sean, if, if you owned a company, you know, you started your own engineering firm, you know, and you said, okay, I have, you know, we're, our company is pulling in an eight figure income per year or, you know, roughly eight figures. Um, we have 12,000 weekly customers. We have 147 full-time employees and 300 part-time. I would presuppose that you as the CEO and president of your company should be making roughly $6 million. That's, you know, and, and that's awesome. Like that, that would be, if no one would bat an eye if your company was pulling in eight figures and you had 147 full-time employees. Now, if you transpose that into a church, that's, you know, let's say the budget, you know, like they're, they're, you know, the yearly revenue is 30 million and you have 12, 12 to 15,000 people coming to your church. You had 147 full-time employees, 300 part-time with teachers and some musicians. You're, if six millions is grotesque, you know, that's a, that seems un, unreasonable. But I don't think it's crazy to pay that person a million dollars. And, and, and people are gonna be up in arms in that. And that's fine. I've never met, I've never worked for a pastor that's made seven figures. So this to me is me just throwing out a number that I feel is adequate. You will not find, I mean, I do not know any personally. I've worked at very, very large churches and don't even know a pastor that makes half that. So let me just, let me just make, throw that out there. <laughs> but I do think that a workman is worth double their wage. And the reason being is that if that person was not called by God, but instead called to start an engineering firm and came and, and they're obviously a good leader. They're obviously driven. They're obviously like have momentum. They're galvanizers. There's some superpower, you know, that or super quality that is, a, is magnetic and they know how to acquire uh, their customer acquisition is on point. So they under, so if they're living, so if they're in the world, you know, they're making six, you know, six million and this pastor, Pastor is only making a million. I say only because I feel that they're worth that. Now, again, I don't know a church that would pay that. But to me, it's, I never want it to be a point where if, let's say, if I was the senior pastor, I would never want to get one of my pastors to go to have to choose to between money or ministry. I never want them to have to get to that point. I want them to say, listen, uh, I, I see what the world's offering. I see my skill set, but I also see a calling to ministry. And any other sect, so there's a lot of sectors, even within the church, that already have this to match. For instance, right now, our church, a Grace Family Church, and many, many others, are aggressively pursuing graphic designers, creative directors, social media coordinators, and all these people are getting top dollar. They're working from home, a lot of them, you know, the competitive pay. And so when a church needs those resources, we can't go, oh, you know what? We can only pay you 25,000 a year, 50,000 a year. They're gonna go, absolutely not. I'm choosing not to go into ministry because I know I can make triple what the world is, what the world is out there. But that, so let's say hypothetically I'm a church and I go, oh, they're not, they're not fully into the ministry. They're not fully engaged in ministry. So now they are choosing to go into the world 
and, and create a superb product. But now my product is suffering because I can't, I choose not to compete salary wise with the rest of the world. Well, so if I came to you and I said, listen, I'm starting a church and I'm gonna pay my social media guy 50,000 because that's how much he can make working for, you know, even a localized company, you know, let's say even 40,000 sounds reasonable to me. So 40,000 to 50,000, I wanna pay him the same competitive rate and now he's choosing ministry because I know this guy can crush it. Well, you would probably be like, that seems a little bit high, but you absolutely in 2022 need a social media director that's quality, that's gonna stand out, that under, understands search engine optimization, who understands like how to boost ads. And I don't want to train, train a high schooler how to do that and pay them you know, $10 an hour. We're gonna get that type of quality. So that seems logical. But if I now transpose that and say, listen, I wanna pay this campus pastor, this campus has about 1,500 to 2,000 attendees. I wanna pay them 150,000 a year. You, most people would be like, are you kidding? A campus pastor, 150,000 a year, that's insane. But I come to you and saying, well, do you know other companies that are bringing in 2,000 people and a revenue and, and building this type of program with this type of leadership and this type of oration skills? No, no, but he's a pastor. He should only be paid, you know, 50,000. So why is it that with pastors, we say, oh no, there almost, almost needs to be a vow of poverty. But, you know, but, but I'm telling you that it takes a strong leader to run a strong campus. So I'm telling you to pay them higher so that we can keep getting congregants in and, and, and drawing them in through creative ideas, through positive delegation, through, you know, strong oration, uh, through people skills and galvanizing and innovation. And so that leader could turn around and go to the world and make triple what you're telling me to pay them. So that's, that's uh, I've got many more points to discuss, but I want to stop here and allow, yeah, and allow a, lo a lot to There's a lot you said that I think we need to <laughs> unpack a little bit. Yeah, here. let's go. Um, yep. First thing is you referenced uh, something Paul talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, you, you said the laborer is worthy of his wages or worthy of his reward, as some translations put it. You said double, but I'm assuming that was just a... Uh, Freudian slip. <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. That, yes, true. Fair enough. <laughs> I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on that one. But to that point, right, Paul says that you shouldn't muzzle an ox um, that treads out the oh, grain. Oh, I'm sorry. Right? It's, it's, I'm sorry, sorry. I was thinking work, our, our workman is worth double the honor. I'm sorry. Oh, I, okay. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, two, two verses melding into one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> um, and, and so to that point, you know, you were throwing out some numbers, but the first thing I thought of as well, location matters when it comes to numbers as well. Yes, uh, because absolutely. you live, and I hope you're okay with me saying where you live, yeah. you live in St. Petersburg, yeah, yeah. Florida, right? That yeah. is when you look at the, the scale of cost of housing, cost of living, you know, expenses, that's one of the more expensive places in the country to live, right? I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is one of the not <laughs> those areas, you know, cost of housing is, is a fraction of what it is here as opposed to there. Right. And so there is this mentality and I'll just be a hundred percent real and honest. That's actually the language that was given to me when I was choosing to become a pastor and to leave engineering is well, you have to choose between money and ministry or, or money and meaning. Right. And, and fair enough. I, I don't actually know that I'm I fault the person that gave me that language for giving me that language because I think that there, I think that there is some validity to the choice. Actually, I think that 
choosing between ministry and money actually has some kind of biblical backing and that a vow of poverty isn't necessarily always a bad thing when it comes to being a pastor. Um, for context, when I was a pastor, I had a household income of $33,000 a year that year, right? Uh, and, and so, you know, he <laughs> said a pastor making 50. I was like, yeah, that, w- that would have been nice. <laughs> but, um, you know, for context, location matters, right? And uh, this might sound phenomenological to listeners, but I really do think that God was faithful to provide during that season. But nevertheless, that does bring out the question of, is the vow of poverty necessary here in America? Um, because we're also presupposing now a kind of cultural um, divide in income of pastors, right? Because if we take a pastor outside of America, the vow of poverty is real, right? And so and now we have to introduce the word privilege as well when we talk about this and, and just face the facts that we do live in a privileged society, right? And more on that point probably later and, and to what I was getting at with a pastor shouldn't want to keep all of their income, right? And that we should be, yes, we should recognize our privilege and use it. So probably more to that point later, but I think focusing back on the vow of poverty thing, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough line to say, what is poverty, right? Um, but at the same time, you don't want to pay your pastor so little that they can't afford to live in the city that they're a pastor in, right? And so that's, that's then back to the point of, well, you're in St. Petersburg. I mean, what's the average cost of a house there? Oh my lord! You don't want to know. Ballpark. Ballpark. <laughs> for a, for my wife's a real estate agent. She's standing right here. So for a decent for a three two in downtown St. Pete, we're talking about five hundred fifty. More, six fifty, seven fifty. What are you saying? Well, just say it. Say it. Yeah, downtown St. Pete would be six fifty to seven fifty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you you can't buy a house on $50,000 a year there. <laughs> no. Like you know, and and and, and so 50,000 is fine if we presuppose the pastor has no wife or children and no plans to ever have those. Yes, um, <laughs> exactly. But but if if we if we uh assume like Paul did that the pastor is going to be the husband of one wife and a father to children, which is by and large, the uh, hope of all pastors, right? Then to live in a place like that, you have to make more money than just $50,000 a year. And so... um, Well, that's fine. I mean, I'd I'd already, you know, like to push back in the simple fact that, you know, as far as I would never as a pastor want to put my team, especially if I believed in their leadership or their IQ or their EQ in a position where they're looking at the outside world and saying, listen, I've got debts I need to pay off. I've got children I've got to put through school. I've got, you know, daughters that I've got to, you know, pay for weddings. And there was somebody at my church and I'm not, you know, I'll I'll keep his name anonymous. I don't think he would mind me sharing his story, but he walked away from the ministry for about six years because he felt like, listen, I need to get my debts resolved and I need to set myself up for, for retirement. And then he came back to the church. That to me is is embarrassing because not for him he's you know but it's just it's just one of those things where I would hope that we could pay them to and, and Grace pays very well but I'm but I'm just saying I have no I have no qualms currently what I'm saying is I don't want to put high level leaders into a predicament where they're choosing the outside I want why why can't we as Christians like 
we, it seems that we trail the world in so many areas. We trail it creative-wise. We trail it musically. We, we trail it even business-wise and marketing and all the way around. It feels like we're just two steps behind at all times. But what if we took those thinkers, those entrepreneurs, those musicians, and we added them into the church, paid them a healthy wage so that the church can flourish, the church can grow, the church can you know, thrive, not just survive. So... I, you know, I want to keep good employees, you know, and I have a few on my staff that if they were just like, hey, man, I've got another job. You know, somebody offered me this. I would try everything I could that I would, you know, attempt to have them on my team, um, have them on my team, like for the long duration. And, and I would try as best I could to make sure that money was not, uh, yeah, a factor in that equation. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's the point I was getting at is that. If you keep your pastor paid just below the point where he can afford to comfortably take care of his family, right? Um, and, and, and you mentioned <clears throat> going into debt, like the fact that a church would ever let a pastor go into debt um, is it almost seems unbiblical the way the Bible talks about debt. And that's you know, a totally different discussion. And I'm not Dave Ramsey, so I won't go into it. But <laughs> um, right. But the fact that you know, a, a church would ever pay a pastor so little um, that they would struggle just to live and to take care of their family does seem unbiblical because the Bible does say that he who doesn't take care of his own house first is, is worse than an unbeliever. So I think we're on the same page on that. So oh, we can probably move. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, oh no. Oh, no man. Anything but yeah. love. You know, also that in Romans. You know, so, but I, so I want to continue on my, on my analogy of the company with the eight figure of income and revenue. One thing about it is if you start an engineering firm, Sean, with all those factors in mind, the 12,000 weekly customers, the 147 employees, blah, blah, blah. The thing about that, Sean, is if your children don't feel like continuing in your line of business, you have equity. You own 100% of that company. And so now you have an eight-figure revenue. It's coming in 30 millions of dollars. Well, you and I both know if you're going to sell your company, it's about three to five times the amount of money that it's bringing in is what your company is worth. So you could turn around and sell that company right there, Sean, for $120 million when you feel like retiring. You are generationally wealthy. Like if you set up a nice trust, your great-grandchildren are still going to be wealthy because you can set up your money that you know strategic with trusts. Pastors don't have that. There is no handing off amount of money. You know, in, in a lot of churches bylaws, it will say something to the effect of, if this church fails, you, we sell it all and we distribute it to local churches. We don't sell it all and then give it to great grandchildren, or we don't sell it off and make generational wealth. And so that's just another reason why I feel like pastors should get retirement funds and should be set up for the future, not because I want to make their grandchildren wealthy. That's not, that's up to them. They can invest wisely with, with the money that they're given, but also have to take into account that this is not a company. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization in which, you know, there is no shareholders. No one's getting dividends. You know, the pastor doesn't make 5% of the, of the tithes and offerings. It does not work like that. There's usually a board, an external board that sits there and dictates what the pastor is paid. And so I want to, you know, I want to make sure that people factor that in because that's just something I've kind of self-discovered is there's no equity for these pastors that have spent, you know, they started the church when they were 22 years old and now they're 64 years old and they, and they hand it off to the next pastor and that's it. There's a, there's an applause. There's a little party. We've got some streamers around the office. 
but there's no golden watch. There's no, um, there's no, okay, man, you get, you know, dividends that are coming in every year. There's no, I'm going to sell you 60% of the company so that you own it. I'm going to keep 40, you know, and then hand that off to my, there's nothing like that. And so, so I just want to show, show people that, you know, when that pastor, that's very successful pastor has chosen the career that he's chosen, it's also a very different long-term effect on his family. And uh, I think that's one that's completely overlooked. Now, if you want to talk about pastors that, you know, need a second plane, <laughs> you know, that's where we both can agree to disagree with them. But I do want people to just to take in mind and give what the Bible just talked about in, uh, in talking about, you know, giving the workmen double the honor. I want to be sure that people are honoring their pastor, that, that, that they see the, the, the worth and the, and the sacrifices you know, I, I was, I met with a pastor recently and he built his church from 80 people to 8,000. And then his church fired him because he was, he was, a, I mean, there was just different things, not a moral failure, just a leadership differences. Well, they were paying him very well at the end. And that was kind of one of the marks that they gave him. Like, look how much you're getting paid. And he said, one, I don't set my own pay. You did. The board did. Two, you're looking at what I've made the last two years, not what I've made the last 30 years. Because in the beginning, I'm bivocational. I'm substitute teaching while I'm doing this, you know, while I'm building this church to 8,000 people. So you're back, almost back paying me for the years that my wife and I are eking by, where we both have two jobs just to make it happen. And so I just, I also want people, when, when people look at a salary of a pastor, I want them to take a few steps back. This is not one of those positions where, you know, it's always been like this. I want you to take into consideration how many decades they have been toiling. That's a, the proper word, toiling, over this. And also this, the, 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 the family sacrifices and also just the long-term sacrifices that this family has made to be where they are. Yeah, and, and so it's perhaps helpful for context to point out that, of the pastors that you and I know, that's the majority. The majority of the pastors that we know are pastors that have had to live in trailer parks, that are deeply in debt, that are have foreclosed on their homes, you know, um, that I don't know a pastor with a Lamborghini. I don't know a pastor, you know, um, with, with a nice BMW even. <laughs> and and that, that's not like that unreasonable, right? Um, <clears throat> but yeah. I think that's important in that a lot of the heart behind where the discussion of keeping your pastor out of poverty and making sure they can just afford to take care of their family, you know, that they can just afford to take care of, of their house comes from uh, a lot of experience, I think, of watching these pastors yeah. who are so excited and so gung-ho and have such pure hearts into ministry. Um, and I'm thinking of people in particular, just as much as you're probably thinking of people in particular now that then have to feel the burnout, that then have to provide a lesser quality of ministry because their home life is suffering because, well, you know, they have three kids and they want their wife to stay home. Right. And so there's a part of it too, where it's like, you almost tell that kind of a pastor, Hey, your wife needs to work and she might need to work one or two jobs. And also we expect you to be here six or seven days a week and to be on call. So if seven. someone calls you at midnight, yeah. If someone calls you at midnight wanting to commit suicide, uh, pastor, you got to answer this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And also for context for you and I, Sean, for the listener, is that I've had a job in the world where I've made 
many, many times over what I make now. And you've had a job prior to being a pastor where you made many, many times over. And so I want to make sure people understand the context of I'm not trying to get a raise. Don't need a raise. I'm good to go. I'm fine. What I'm saying is I'm talking to those people in those, you know, that are kind of looking at pastors from the outside. Contextually, both you and I, when we are both pastors together, could have looked at our jobs and gone, we can make so much more out there doing what we used to do. And both of us had the option of doing what we used to do. I could go back on the road. I could pick up the phone call, you know, phone right now and call my manager and go, just put it back together. I'm ready to make more money. And, and, and so I'm just saying, I want to make sure that people understand the context of what you and I are, how we're discussing this and why. And I'm, it sounds like I'm angry. I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm, I'm very passionate <laughs> because I want the church to be the best it possibly can be. I want these pastors not to have to look to the left or the right for incomes. Because listen, if, if you are so distraught on how much your pastor is making, then here's what I, I recommend you guys doing. Number one, um, you don't, you, you know, you, you don't want to give your pastor more, then I, I challenge you to reduce his workload. Just like you're saying, it is almost a seven day a week job. You know, why don't you go shadow your pastor or your creative director or your musical director at Easter or Christmas? Those are weeks of 80 hour, 80 to 90 hour weeks. Go shadow them for, for, for three weeks. You know, you don't like how much you're paying him? Then tell him, listen, you only have to work Sunday to Wednesday. Take Thursday, Friday, and Saturday off. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll reduce your pay, but you get three days off. So he gets quality of time, he gets quality of life, and you don't have to, you can feel better about not paying him. Also, don't, don't be upset if you find out that your pastor has a side hustle. You know, if, if he's doing real estate on the side, he's not dual, duplistically minded. It's because you're not paying him enough that he can be focusing solely on the church. Then work out, negotiate, negotiate with him. Listen, please stop writing books, doing speaking engagements, just stop all the things, be super hyper-focused on just us and we'll triple your salary, you know? But if you're not willing to like pony up to what a leader, a high level leader is, you know, then, or, or understand his worth, then, then you need to stop complaining. Going back to my analogy about the guy that had an 8,000 person church and they fired him because of leadership differences, that church right now is running a solid 800 people. I know sometimes you can't see what your pastor is worth because you're so in the weeds of it all. But when you've got a high level leader that is trouncing, that is a pioneer in the, and you know if he went and started another business, he would crush it just because of his leadership skills. You gotta overlook a lot of weeds and maybe fill in some gaps, get a better XP, plug in someone with a high EQ. You've got to work with them because there's a reason he took a congregation from 80 to 8,000 and there's a reason you're back down to 800. You got to, you got to figure that out. Work with your pastor. He's not your enemy. His salary is not your enemy. His divided time into these external... Paul was a tent maker. Did, 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 I don't see anybody yelling at Paul for being a tent maker. He was raising enough money. He had, you know, like he was... He could have pocketed a few more dollars. Instead, he was just like, I don't want to be a burden. I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a side hustle. And so whatever your complaint about his time or his money is, go figure it out using practical sense and apply the real business world to the equation. Well, yeah, and, and that's where the conversation in 1 Timothy chapter 5 comes. Uh, you referenced the two verses in there of uh, a... Someone who teaches God's word is worthy of double honor and don't muzzle an ox. The worker is worthy of his wages, right? Paul also says in that, um, all of those things are true, lest we 
dishonor the gospel or disobey Christ, right? And so there's almost this emphasis where, you know, if Paul didn't have to make tents, imagine how much more honor he could have done to planting churches across the known world, right? To to spreading their gospel and, and the ministry. Um, but to that point, it's probably a good time to pivot now to the pastor's to the upper end of this conversation, right? Um, Let's do it. How much is too much for a pastor to make, right? And obviously, we can look at the extreme examples, the Joel Osteens, the Benny Hins. We can look at pastors that, like you said, need a second private jet <laughs> or need a fourth Lamborghini. And, and we have examples of that in culture. And that's wrong, and that feels wrong to those of us inside and outside of the church. I think any good, logically thinking Christian looks at those examples and says, okay, that's excess, right? And and we can say that in our culture because we are in America, we're in a capitalist society, we're in a materialistic society. And so there's a point where tools and materials become status symbols and not tools, right? Amen. And so I'm not Amen. saying that a pastor can't have a nice car, but there's a difference between a Lamborghini and a Lexus, right? There's, there's a big difference between, you know, a Lexus and a 1987 Ford Pinto or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying a pastor should be driving a death trap. Um, but it's, it's at what point does a salary become more about a salary? Because, so, so you give the example of an engineering company, right? If I were to go start my engineering company, um, you know, I've got a couple dream cars I would probably buy if I was making whatever you said, 1.2 million or whatever. Um, I'm not, by the way. <laughs> uh, but if I was, there, there, there are some things I would buy. And if I was making that salary as a pastor, buying those things would almost appear sinful. And I think that a, a large part of that is because of the way they can be viewed as a status symbol and because a pastor is on a platform. And on this platform, it doesn't just say like an engineering company would have, um, like Elon Musk, right? He has a platform which says, Look at how I make green energy. I make it cool. I make it fun. I make it affordable. Be like me in that regard. When a pastor has a platform, it says, look at how my relationship to God is. That's right. Right. Like, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, that's the same thing a pastor says. And so I think why that feels so wrong then is because if we see pastors chasing after status symbols based on the uh, society, the materialistic capitalist society that, that we live in, and I have nothing against capitalism, but I'm just saying we need to recognize that that brings out materialism, that brings out things as status symbols, right? And if we see a pastor living his life chasing those things as well, that's going to leave the, the bitter taste in our mouths. Um, and so that's why I made that initial statement of, I don't think it's a sin for pastors to want to make money. I think it's a sin for pastors to want to keep all of their money. And and that just goes back to basic biblical principles about generosity, right? That that goes back to the basic uh, fundamental for handling money in the church, right? Uh, I'm thinking of the story of Jesus and his disciples sitting in the temple, and they look at this widow giving her last two mites. And just before that, Jesus was talking about the greed of the Pharisees. And as you know, um, throughout the Bible, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin of, of Israel when they got carried off into, into Babylon, um, the sin of the Pharisees is taking advantage of widows and orphans and the poor, right? Those, those are chief complaints that God brings against his people when they start doing that. And so here's Jesus sitting 
in the temple with his disciples talking about how the Pharisees are taking advantage of the widows and the poor and, and they're uh, being dishonest when they sell the Passover lambs, right? And and someone brings a lamb for context and uh, it has no blemishes, which is what it's supposed to do for Passover, but the Pharisees can find one. And then they say, well, you can buy one from us from the temple for, you know, a, a, an outrageous upcharge, right? And then Jesus says, look at that widow giving in her two mites. And it's typically taught in churches like, oh, good for her. Like generosity should should hurt, right? Uh, that's not the point of the Bible or in context at all. The point is Jesus is saying, look at these Pharisees taking advantage of this widow and taking her last two mites. They should be taking care of this widow, not taking advantage of her, right? And so I think then pastors, especially pastors who make large incomes, uh, the sin isn't making the large income, and it's not wanting to make a large income for all the reasons we just talked about. The sin is not wanting to fulfill the call of ministry. And I know I'm probably touching on something very near and dear to your heart, as our previous conversation uh, definitely had a lot to do with altruism. So I will give you the floor on this topic. Now. No, I think, I mean, we we could not agree more. I mean, to me, the Bible says very clear about, um, Paul said, I become all things to all men so I can win some. Well, Lamborghini is going to put you apart and separate you from the majority <laughs> of, of, of those around you. And so therefore, um, I am, man, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I love making money. Let me, I don't love money. I enjoy it as a game. I love investing. I love real estate. I love startups. I, you know, I'm in a, I feel like I'm at heart, I'm a venture capitalist in a lot of ways. I do enjoy the game of money, but as a pastor and as a Christian, that's not my calling. You know, I'm not here to pursue financial gain. I'm not here to um, make money or the appearance of making money. I drive a truck. I, I do things in my life that, you know, I wanna make sure that like I can reach anybody and everybody and nothing stands in my way. For instance, you won't catch me like at a bar. I will not be there with a with a you know a, a, even a cup because I I'm very nervous that like an alcoholic an ex alcoholic is going to walk in and be like that's my pastor and even if it's water you know in my cup if people somebody could walk in and be like that's my pastor I'm out forget it or you know I don't um, I never you and I have talked about this many times way back in the day about living above reproach even with women you will not catch me in an elevator alone with a woman like the person that I'm closest to at work. Um, she's my right hand woman, like just I Sophia Marshall, you know her. Like, but her and I yesterday were working alone together and we sat our desk in front of the giant glass so anybody could walk by and open up the door or see in. We're not going to be behind, you know, anywhere that no one could find. You know, I just want to make sure that we are our hands are up. We're, we're just absolutely leaving an approach and I'm living above approach. I don't ride in cars with other women. And this is all, even before I was a pastor, this is even when I was in Amberlynn because I knew one accusation could level my band. And now I know one accusation accusation could level my ministry. And in the same way, it's with money. You know, we have a, we have a nice house. It's very comfortable. Like it's a comfortable, you know, little house. My kids have to sleep in the same room. No big deal. Like I want to teach them how to share, you know, but we don't have, we don't, we don't, we try, we're not living over and above and we're not, you know, it's just, it's just not like that. And so I want to become all things to all men that I might win some. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and you bring up a good point because I, I think the, the question that comes with, well, how do you live above reproach? How do you, how do you hold to the standard of not, and, and, and the heart from it comes behind, do not do anything to make your brother stumble, the Bible says. 
Um, I don't know the verse reference off the top of my head, so this is why I'm not a pastor anymore. But um, <laughs> uh, it, it, that, that's the heart, right? Is to not do anything to make anyone stumble. And then you talked about two examples that aren't money, which is alcohol and being alone with the opposite sex. And it's like, well, how do you do that? Well, you need accountability, number one, right? Um, and then number two, you, you need discipline, or maybe those would actually be flipped. You probably need discipline before accountability, because if you're not disciplined, you're not going to be accountable. But either way, two of the top things that come to mind of what you need to do that is discipline and accountability. And so it's like, why would we treat money any differently in the church? Right. Why, why would we not be open with uh, what we make, especially if you're on a church with multiple pastors like you and I have found ourselves on? And, and it's, it's, it's interesting because there often tends to be a large gap between the associate or assistant pastors and the senior pastor or executive pastors or, or, or vice versa, right? And, and then with that gap, there comes this culture of unaccountability, right? And so I think that's how it can get out of hand very, very quickly to a pastor buying a Lamborghini, to a pastor buying a second jet, to a pastor buying the mansion in the country club. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think then as a pastor, and I'm trying to think of how, how to relate this to someone in a congregation who is questioning a pastor's salary, but as a pastor, you need to have that accountability, right? And then as a member in a congregation, you can be aware of a church board. Um, a church can be open about its finances. And so if this is a major issue, that's, this is always something you can ask about as a congregant, if that makes sense. I agree. I, I do think that the finances need to be pretty, pretty wide open. And, and um, I don't think that the exact number of the salary of the, each pastor should be Sure. Yeah. You know, put out there. I don't. I don't. I don't think that because you're never going to make everyone happy. You know, you're just. You just are. You know, I would. I would be. I would go into a riot if I knew a pastor on my staff was paid. You know, mm-hmm. you minimal. You know, that would just. I, and so I'm upset. And then you have somebody else who's upset, thinking that's too much. You know, um, but I, I. You know, that there, there's just so many ways we can go with this. But I think that the, at the end of the day. Um, I think that God is going to judge each and every one of us, you know, when we get to heaven. And I think the pastor's got to know his own heart. You know, I do, I do think that like he's, you know, he's, he knows the scriptures, you know, he knows that, that there might be blood on his hands and, and he's going to have to stand through with God and give an account of his entire life and existence. And since he's chosen the path of becoming a pastor, he's going to be accountable for every single cent that he made. And so I think the best thing to do would be find an, an independent board, you know, uh, outside of the church, um, our our church, I love how Grace has it structured. They are not yes men to Pastor Craig, but what they are is they're business leaders in the community, along with some ministers from other churches. So that way, you get a roundabout as far as like how much should he be paid, how much what 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 are the benefits that we're going to give him, what are the healthcare benefits that we're going to give him. That way, it's not him saying, this is what I'm going to make, and I'm going to tell you, and this year, you know, I'm gonna, it's not like that. It's, it's a third party that's able to speak and keep our pastor accountable. Yeah, I mean, you said a pastor might have blood on his hands on Judgment Day. No, a pastor will have blood on his hands on Judgment Day, right? Because oh, a pastor gosh. is just a human sinner like the rest of us. Amen. Um, <laughs> Amen. Uh, yep. The, the hope is that, that the blood 
on the pastor's hands is covered by the blood of the cross on the judgment Amen. day. You always want yep. your pastors to be saved. It's typically a... That's usually a good thing. That's usually yeah. a good thing. Yep. Yeah. It's typically an entrance requirement. Um, but but to, to that point too, yes, I, I agree with we shouldn't go around exposing every pastor's salary. And part of that is because if you do that, you're going to have to expose every pastor's level of generosity. And that's just not how it should be, right? I mean, it's we're kind of used to it in our culture with celebrities, right? If, I, I don't know, Robert Downey Jr., someone writes a humongous check to build a hospital somewhere, it's like, oh, that's awesome. We love to see our celebrities being generous. We love to know the dollar amount because it's usually this like astronomical, like tens of millions of dollars. And it was like chump change for them, right? Like it, it didn't hurt them at all. Um, but it's, it's this astronomical figure that most of us will never even see in our life, right? And they're just giving it away to, to build a hospital or to some charity. And, and so we love to see that, but we can't expect the same out of pastors. And so there's that aspect. But then there's also the Bible says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, right? And if pastors started being generous for the show of generosity, which is what it would have to turn into if we start revealing pastor salaries, um, if, if they started being generous for the show, then you could make an argument that that's not true biblical generosity. And you wouldn't have to make that argument very tough because even those not in the church would see, oh, okay, this is just a show. They're probably not even truly generous. They're just doing this just like celebrities do it, right? And I'm not saying celebrities aren't truly generous, but it's easy to be cynical when we watch a celebrity, you know, give tens of millions of dollars away to something and say, oh, well, they're just doing that for the tax benefit or they're yeah. just doing that. Yep. So everyone loves them and they can get the next movie role that they want, you know, or whatever it is. So I think that that point is worth yeah. mentioning as well. First Corinthians 9, 9 through 14 says this real fast. I think it kind of ties in. It says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman that the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Paul goes on to say, nevertheless, I haven't done that. I have not made use of this right. But what closes it with the saying, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so I really think that a healthy living wage, and like you said, taking into external factors, but also taking into how good of a leader what what you know how far have they brought the church needs to be put into consideration and i think an external board in my opinion who um, is looking out for not only the pastor but also the church um, should have a say in it so i think we just solved the world's problems sean congratulations <laughs> next week uh poverty i think we can solve um, the entire uh, global property in in one podcast it's gonna be great i was gonna say politics let's solve politics Okay, that's going to take two episodes. That's going to take two episodes. And actually deals with poverty, so we're going to be good. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Um, as you continue in your pastoral ministry, Stephen, don't go buy two private jets. That's probably the advice I would give you. And seven Lamborghinis. Um, too late. <laughs> Shoot. Take a few things back. <laughs> I kept the receipts. Yeah, there we're you good. go. But, but you mentioned it previously. And so I think I want to close probably on this note of recognizing the fact that you and I stepped into ministry in a very privileged position and recognizing that privilege. And I'm not just using it because it's a, it's a cultural buzzword at the moment. Um, but, but it truly is in that you mentioned 
at any point, we, you and I could have stepped out of ministry and made more money, you know? And so to kind of wrap it all up, the heart of ministry is never one that enters into it for the money, like you would other professions, you know? But I would also make the case if you enter medicine for money or you enter engineering or you want to be a lawyer or a rock star for money, you're probably not going to go very far anyway because you have to. And we understand this when it comes to the to the secular jobs, right? We understand this when it comes to medicine. We understand this when it comes to being a rock star, when it comes to being a lawyer, an engineer, whatever. It's like you have to love the work you do. You have to follow your passion. And I think that there is probably a deeper level to that in pastoral ministry because you not only have to love the work you do, which isn't always a pulpit. It's a pulpit, like a very small fracture of the, of a fraction of the time. It's counseling. It's like you said, leading and not just leading from a stage, but leading on one-to-one face-to-face conversations with staff, with congregation. It's, it's a broken heart and you have to love having a broken heart for the Lord. And so there's the kind of deeper part of it is like, you really got to love God. You really got to follow a call that God puts on your life despite any obstacles and and money most often being one of those obstacles that come up, you know? And, and, so, and so I think that has a lot to do with the heart behind it too, of a good pastor doesn't go into ministry for a salary. That's right. right? That's right. Yeah. That's a, I mean, yeah, I have nothing to add. I just, I, I totally agree. I mean, anything, anything that you're, pa- I mean, go into what you're passionate about and then find a way to make money at it, you know, but, but no, I don't, again, even now in today's music, when young musicians come and talk to me, I just tell them like, listen, if you think and expect there to be Monday money at the end of this, you know, you're, 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 you're wrong. The majority of bands, you know, 1% of bands sell over 1000 records. And so, you know, just understand that that you may not make money at this, but go be passionate, buy that guitar, go start the band. And in the same way, I would just tell a young minister, like, if you're gonna get this in this for money, like honestly, there are so many better jobs as far as financially secure and sound, go do that. But if you're called to this, I just, I, I, you know, I've said this to you personally, Sean, I just can't take my hands off this plow. I, I get so much out of it and it's not monetary. I am so excited about life right now developing. I feel like I'm being an entrepreneur. I'm being used by God. I love my stage in life right this second. I just want to push pause. It's my favorite year of ministry of all time. And um, there's not a price that could be paid to get me out of it. You know, Um, I'm very content right where I'm at, you know, financially, physically, emotionally, and definitely spiritually. I'm called to this moment. That is fantastic to hear. Well, Stephen, I think we've exhausted the subject for this episode. Thank you so much for being on The Christian Skeptic again. Uh, for anyone listening, if you would like Stephen to return a third time, let me know. That, <laughs> that could possibly be arranged. <laughs> there you go. I appreciate it, Sean. And always a pleasure, man. And uh, thank you for touching on this subject. I have never heard a podcast touch on this. Um, I've heard grumblings and complainings, but never any type of uh, problem solving or logic deemed into this conversation so i appreciate it well who knows maybe someone will listen and grumble and complain about what we talked about and i'll get some emails in you might get some emails in at your church and that's uh, fine but i encourage that so as always let me know feel free to write into the show and as always thank you so much for listening and i hope you've enjoyed the show